Well, uh, before we really get into it, I want to show you a few pictures, because we're going to Philippi today. And if you're following Paul's missionary journey, he's left Antioch, which is, if you see Syria here on the right, Antioch is right at the top of Syria. And then I'm holding this pen like it's a pointer that really helps, just so you know. And then they head up through Cilicia, through Derby, Lystra, Iconium. They're visiting all of the churches they planted on their first missionary journey. And then they run into some trouble because the Holy Spirit says, uh, I'm not asking you to speak to these people. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you not to. And so you see that line all through Asia, which is not here a continent, but rather a Roman province, that uh, kind of reddish, pinkish, purplish province uh, that's the west part of Turkey there. God really says, no, no ministry for you here. And he takes them all the way out then to Philippi, across the Aegean Sea. Uh, you can just see it kind of at the top left corner there. I know you probably can't read where it says Philippi, but that's where we're going today. And let me show you a couple of pictures. I went to Philippi a number of years ago, uh, so go ahead and give me the next slide. Uh, this is actually some of my traveling companions. There are about 25 or 30 of us, and uh, we went, traveled all throughout Turkey, Greece, and we ended up in Rome. And this is a river in Philippi, and you may not really be able to tell because there are all these women standing around it in various poses, but this is a baptismal. Uh, you might see the stair right down there at the bottom, and people would step into the river. This is near a, a modern church in Philippi. But this would be a very similar sort of place uh, where Paul is about to meet Lydia in our story. So just keep it in mind. And next picture. This is the Agora of Philippi, which means it is the marketplace. This is where everyone would be like a big old farmer's market, uh, shopping and you know, meeting each other, running into their buddies and their neighbors and their friends. Actually, while we were in Philippi, we found some public toilets, and I have a picture of some of the guys on the trip. You notice these are the guys and not the ladies sitting on the toilets pretending to use them. Uh, I did not put that in the slideshow uh, to all of our relief, but... This is where Paul would have met the demon-possessed girl who is the, the oracle prophesying and telling the future. This is a real place. Uh, not only is it a real place, it's a famous place. The battle uh, between Brutus and Cassius and uh, Octavian and Mark Antony after the murder of Julius Caesar took place right near here, just a few miles away. So, crossroads of history, pretty neat place. To share with you the story this morning, I'd actually like to tell the story as if I were the Apostle Paul. And so, what I want you to remember as I do this is the details, some of them are of my own invention, trying to be faithful to the story, fill in some of the gaps so I can tell it this way. So, I want you to pay maybe a little bit less attention to the details and more attention to the big ideas that are arching uh, throughout this whole thing. So let me take you through the story. This is going to be, we're going to take care of the rest of Acts chapter 16 here. Paul and uh, his companions are going to travel through Asia, make it to Philippi. They're going to meet Lydia. They're going to meet uh, the girl uh, with the Pythoness spirit uh, who is telling the future. They're going to go in front of the magistrates, get thrown in jail, and then they're going to leave Philippi at the end. Let's do it. I am, by call, by trade, 
by personality, by all that I am, I'm a missionary. That's what I am all about. I met Jesus. I've told this story I don't know how many times on the road to persecute Christians. I was trying to throw them in jail, to beat them up, and even to kill them if I could. And I met Jesus on the road on my way to do exactly that. And he said, Paul, or actually people called me Saul back then. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And you know what? I I had an idea of who this was I was encountering because there was only one person I was persecuting. I said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. He says, go, and I'm going to have one of my people meet you. And I stood up, and I was blind until God returned my sight to me. I met Jesus on the road, and he changed the direction of my life. He changed everything about me. And where before I lived to stop people from talking about Jesus, now I live to tell people about Jesus. And I spent the rest of my life doing exactly that. You have come to talk about three missionary journeys I took, even though I really took a lot more than three missionary journeys. I suppose you can sort of divide them up into three main trips. And the first one, we went through uh, parts of of, uh, Galatia and Phrygia, and we, we shared the gospel, and we had amazing success, and just almost innumerable people got to know Jesus. And we came back. It was so exciting. We told everyone. Everyone was excited. It, it literally began to change our culture and our context and even our whole world. And, and then after a little while, we said, well, let's go back out and let's encourage those churches. Let's see how they're doing. And so we did it. We went back. We retraced that first journey that I took. And we visited all the churches. And they were doing amazingly well. They were adding to their number almost daily more and more Christians (coughs) everywhere that we went. And then once we'd visited all those churches, that was good. I mean, I, I liked doing that, but I'm a missionary. I wanted to get out and meet people who had never met or heard about Jesus before. And I wanted to tell them all about him. And so we struck out into places where we'd never been, where Christians hadn't yet ventured out. And we traveled through, through different places in what you call Turkey. But I found as we were going that God wouldn't let me tell people about Jesus. He told me not to. We kept walking through all of these different towns, and I keep seeing all of these people everywhere and thinking, I want to tell them about Jesus. And God said, not yet. Not yet. This isn't where I want you to go. And we traveled all the way through Asia. We walked hundreds of miles. We stayed in countless different towns and cities. And God didn't let me tell a single person about Jesus. And I'm just waiting and waiting for something different. Waiting and waiting to finally follow through on what God made me for. And finally, we came to the very end of Asia. We couldn't go any farther. (laughs) Made it all the way to Troas. Now, we actually met some other people who had had met Jesus on our journey. and, And they joined our group 
And it was so frustrating because our group of missionaries is bigger and bigger, and we still had nothing to do. We met Luke in Troas. Luke wrote the book that you've been studying the last several months. He wrote the book of Acts. And he joined us in Troas and headed out with us. And and while we were there in Troas, I I went to sleep one night. And as usual, I was tossing and turning. When, God? How long do I have to wait? And finally, finally, as I fell asleep that night, I saw a man from Macedonia, from the region across the Aegean Sea from me. And he said, come and help us. Come into Macedonia. We want to hear about Jesus. And I woke up like that, and I was ready to go. I was packing while I'm yelling at everyone. Come on, guys, it's time to go. God's finally given us the ability to to tell people about Jesus. We're not going to be waiting any longer. And so we found the first ship that was going across the sea. We got on it, and we eventually ended up in Philippi. And I had never been to Philippi before. And I spoke to all my companions. You've been to Philippi before? None of us had ever been to Philippi before. It was a completely new place. And you know what happened on my first missionary journey when we went to these new places? We started telling people about Jesus. The whole town would turn out to hear about him. I mean, sometimes they'd turn out and be like, yes, we want to know Jesus. And sometimes they'd turn out and go, we want to kill you because you're talking about Jesus. But whatever it was, we got a response. We knew who we were. We knew what we were doing. And when we got to Philippi, we started looking around, and you know what? Nobody cared about Jesus. Nobody. It was totally different than all the places that we'd been before. I thought, God, why'd you bring me here? What is this about? I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for you to do what it is you put in my heart to do. We searched around for the local community of Jews. That's where we always started. And they were hard to find. There was no synagogue we could find inside the city. And so we looked outside the city gates by a river, and there we found a Jewish place of worship. You know who we ran into? I know in your time, you may not get this, but we ran into a bunch of women. See, the significant people in the towns and the cities that I went to were not the women. They were the men. I mean, running into a group of women at the riverside who didn't even have a place in town was basically like we were finding out we weren't going to be able to make a difference in Philippi at all. But God put it on my heart to share the gospel, and I felt like I'd waited long enough, and so I started to tell this group of women about Jesus, and one of them responded. Her name was Lydia. She was a merchant. She sold purple fabric, which means that she made a pretty good living for herself, which means that she had a pretty nice home, and she invited us into her home, and she and all of her household were baptized. It wasn't the response that I was looking for. It wasn't the response I was prepared for. Last time we went out and did this, it was the whole city that came. This time it was just... Lydia. But you know what? I had been waiting for God to send us out on something spectacular and amazing and great on this missionary journey so that I could do what God made me to do. And Lydia didn't know it, but Lydia had been waiting for me. From hundreds and hundreds of miles away, 
we'd never met before. And she was waiting for me. You know, that's, that's really something, isn't it? Maybe it wasn't whole crowds of people. Maybe it wasn't the mayor. But it was the woman that God had chosen. Before he even made the earth. I was waiting for something big and spectacular. Lydia was waiting for me. But we're not done in Philippi. So we go out, and it, while we're in the marketplace, this, this girl starts following us around, and she has a, a, a prophetic demon. She has a, a Pythoness spirit. She's uh, one of the, uh, like if you've ever heard of the oracle at Delphi, she's one of those prophetesses. And she starts following us and saying, these men are telling you about the Most High God. And it drove me crazy. Remember, this happened to Jesus. Jesus, as he was going throughout Palestine, the spirits who are, who are oppressing people would make them shout out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? I know who you are. And Jesus would tell them to be quiet. Because this, if people start listening to this Pythoness, if they start listening to this priestess of Apollo, and they start obeying her, they start believing her, they're never going to meet Jesus. Because they're going to think, oh, this is the, the, the person that we've already heard about in our religion or our faith. Or, or this is you know, the, the, someone like Apollo himself. They'll get confused about the source of the message. They'll never meet Jesus. They'll meet someone else, but not Jesus. And so I turned around. I'd had enough. And I said, that's it, you spirit. You come out of her in the name of Jesus. And right away, the spirit left her. And people around us started to talk. Whoa, we haven't seen that before. But you know what the, the problem was? Is that this uh, girl was a slave, and she would tell fortunes for uh, other people who would pay her masters. So her masters were upset <laughs> that we had cast out the spirit, because now they realize that you know, everyone has seen me cast out this, this evil spirit, this, this prophesying spirit, so no one will come anymore and ask for her to read their fortune. They've lost all their hope of making money. Their slave has become worthless to them. And they're powerful people. They're the kind of people I might like to reach, honestly, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they're not reachable now. And they call up their buddy, the local magistrate, and they haul us off, and they beat us, Silas and me, to within an inch of our lives. They didn't care if we lived or died. Because they said, these are just some Jews and what do we good Romans have to do with just these dirty Jews? They didn't give us a chance to tell them that we were actually Roman citizens and this whole thing was illegal. But I'll come back to that a little bit later. So you know where I ended up? In jail. You know what jail is like? Jail, uh, the jail that I stayed in, it wasn't swanky, let me tell you. Actually, there was a, a row of metal bars on the ground. And if you were one of the prisoners they really didn't like, they would make you sit down at these bars and they'd fasten them over your legs in a line with all of the other prisoners that they didn't like. So that you'd be, you wouldn't be able to move. It was torture. I, I've been beaten before. I've had awful things happen to me before. and I got some aches and pains that I carry because of it. And let me tell you, this was designed to make all my old aches and pains become current aches and pains. And it did. 
and Silas and I are chained up in the jail. And we're thinking, how are we going to tell people about Jesus while we're in the jail? But you know, the Holy Spirit starts moving in us. We start to sing. Prison isn't a loud place. It's pretty sad. The only sounds you usually hear are sounds of suffering. But Silas and I, because of what the Holy Spirit put in our hearts, we're singing songs of joy, of who God is and what he's done for us. And a different sort of silence descended over the whole prison. Everyone was listening to us. And you know what? Here I am. I'm waiting for God to to make all the spectacular things in my life come true, to use me to the full extent of how I think I should be used. And here I am in jail, chained with my legs to the ground, singing songs to a bunch of prisoners who can't get enough. I've been waiting for God to do something amazing. And these men have been waiting for me. And as we were singing, there's a huge earthquake. And it felt like the whole prison was about to fall apart. And it moved the ground so that the the restraints around our legs broke free. And the doors to the prison swung open. And we're singing. And the Holy Spirit puts it on my heart. Think of the jailer. Think of the jailer. And I cry out, we're all here. Don't kill yourself. Don't do it. Because if any of us escape, the jailer's life is forfeit. The only way he can save a little face is by taking his own life in shame. And sure enough, with what God had done with our singing for these prisoners who'd been waiting for us, no one had left. And the jailer, not even bothering to close the doors, falls down at my feet, the prisoner in the jail, and says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? You know, I've been waiting for that response like I had on my first journey. I've been waiting for God to use all of my gifts and skills and talents. I'm a good speaker, let me tell you. I've spoken everywhere, in every place, in I, I have to be honest, sometimes I feel a little wasted when all God sends me to is, is a woman by a river, is a slave girl in a marketplace, is prisoners in a prison, and my own jailer. I'd been waiting for God to do all that I thought he should do through me. But God had put it on the hearts of Lydia, a slave girl, men in jail, and my own jailer to wait for what God would do through me. And the next morning, the magistrate said, you can let those guys go, wanting just to get rid of us. Maybe they'd felt the earthquake the night before and had some second thoughts about putting us in jail. I don't know, I'm just saying. But when the word came down to us, they're going to let you go, I said, oh, no. We're not going anywhere. You tell those magistrates that we are Roman citizens, and they messed with the wrong people. See, I mentioned it. Roman citizens cannot be beaten summarily like we were. They have the right to a trial. They have the right to be treated and imprisoned in certain ways, in better ways than we were treated. And if you override those rights, if you as a magistrate break 
the rights that I have, you're in all sorts of trouble. Not only can you lose your job and your position and your place, you can even lose your life. And so those same magistrates, they came down to the jail and they begged us. Let's just forget the whole thing. Would you just please go? You know why I did that? It wasn't because I wanted to have my moment in the sun while they had their moment kneeling down before me. Remember who I'm leaving behind? Lydia, a God-fearing Jew who's come to follow Jesus. A slave girl in the marketplace. Prisoners in a prison and a Philippian jailer. If they don't think anything about me, and they're willing to do this to me, how much worse will they do to these vulnerable people? And so I sent a message. We are not just some wayward, lost, not worthy of respect people. We're as good a Romans as you are. Even better, because we didn't break the rules. So I better not hear of you messing with my merchant, with my slave girl, with my prisoners, or my jailer. I have all sorts of plans for my life. Some of them God has... That was what God wanted too. That's what he did. I had my moments in the sun. I had my moments in jail as well. You know what I learned through all of it? I often get impatient. God, when are you going to do it? When are you going to be about it? But God always has me at just the right place, at just the right time, for the people who are also waiting. If I have to wait, it's so that someone else very soon won't have to wait much longer.